0: This is Cultured Hollywood for Smart People for Wednesday, November 20th, 2019. I'm Nico, I'm your host. Talking movies, television, music, and so much more in a way that smart people can enjoy them. Happy Hump Day, my friends. Fellow culturinos. Bro, I am so tired today. I don't know what's wrong with me I'm running on fumes It's a Wednesday I didn't get a horrible night's sleep last night I mean I woke up a little earlier than scheduled And I went to bed Maybe a half hour to 45 minutes later than usual I was doing New York Times crossword puzzles Until 2 in the morning What do you want from me (laughs) What is happening? Oh, my God. Is that a yawn? Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, y'all. The gas tank is close to E. I mean, I'm pushing it, right? Like, I'm playing that game of chicken with the gas tank right now, hoping I can push it another 20 miles. The light was on long ago. But, you know, we've all driven when the light's on before. I mean, we love to live dangerously. And that's how I love to podcast. We are right on the edge of exhaustion. And I'm about to do an hour worth of audio goodness. Uh, Apologies if it's not up to my normal standard. Jesus, I'm so tired. My mom said to me this morning, God bless her. uh, She has no idea what she's talking about most of the time. But God bless her anyway. (laughs) Who knows what the hell's going on at any given moment, right? Who among us hasn't... Toyed around with the idea of (laughs) anti-vaccination. Oh, uh, my mother said this morning, you know, you should get your thyroid checked out. If you're so tired, because I said also I'm tired and I'm cold because it's Connecticut at the end of November and it's like 30 degrees outside. So I made the bold claim According to my mother, that I was both cold and tired uh, on a Connecticut morning, to which she said, hey, it must be your thyroid. I guess she has thyroid problems, too. I, I don't know what the deal is. I couldn't tell you what a thyroid does, where it's located, if it's worth having or not. Then she goes to me, you know, it was, I shouldn't be spilling all this, but she goes, you know, I didn't know I had thyroid problems until my natural doctor pointed it out to me. She goes, no normal doctor knew what the hell was going on. And then the doctor that sprinkles me with poppy seeds. (laughs) The doctor that realigns my shukra said to me, you know, it might be your thyroid. And wouldn't you know it? Broken clock right twice a day. (laughs) I don't know, man. (laughs) When I hear natural doctor, I think burn the witch to the ground. That's what I just assume. That is the natural skeptic in me. Maybe I'm totally misguided. Maybe there are plenty of natural doctors that make you drink goat semen and (laughs) believe in the power of positive thinking. And uh, that's going to solve... All the world's problems. I don't know. Uh, You know what seems quite sick lately? (laughs) You know what could use the guidance of a qualified natural doctor? The American Film Box Office. (laughs) Let's begin with this story. I mean, it's not really a story. It's more of a pattern. And even then, it may not be a pattern. It may be a random sequence of events that we've ascribed a pattern to. Because that is the nature of small sample sizes. You can't learn anything from them. But let's try nonetheless. Three major reboots, sequels, remakes have bombed at the box office over the past three weeks. Have absolutely floundered in their debuts. Three weeks ago, Terminator Dark Fate made a measly $29 million its opening weekend on a $185 million budget. The following week, the sequel to The Shining, Dr. Sleep, hit theaters. We talked about it on Movie Hopping last week. That made a putrid $14 million in its opening weekend. And then, just when you thought things couldn't get more dire, Charlie's Angels, the reboot of the classic television show and movie series from the early 2000s, $8 million at the box office. Swallowed alive by Ford versus Ferrari. This is bad news for the studio system. Or at least it feels like bad news for the studio system. Very rarely do we see three concurrent bombs released in theaters over a three-week span. It just doesn't happen all that much. Especially bombs of this magnitude. You know, who knows how much Charlie's Angels and Terminator are going to make overseas. But domestically, this was a big investment for those studios. Again, $185 million poured into Terminator Dark Fate. $48 million poured into Charlie's Angels. Uh, Doctor Sleep, I assume, was a lesser budget. But still, The Shining, a very popular horror movie. Didn't make a ton of money in 1980, but since then has become not just a cult classic, but a full-fledged horror classic, right? This was not supposed to happen. This did not go to plan. And the narrative I've seen most commonly online if I'm interpreting it correctly, is, huh, I wonder if audiences are worn down by reboot culture. I wonder if audiences have had their fill of franchise films, if they've had their fill of sequels, reboots, and remakes. Now, do I understand the reasoning? Certainly. And if I were searching for a narrative, this seems to be the most convenient but I would remind you about the nature of small sample sizes and I would also remind you of the 2019 box office beginning in January. Let's look at the top 10 list. Top 10 domestic box office performers from 2019. 1 to 10. Here we go. Avengers Endgame. The mother of all franchise films ended a what? 22 film series in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Number two, The Lion King, live action reboot of a beloved cartoon. Toy Story 4, Toy Story sequel. People love those movies. Captain Marvel, based on a comic book, part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Spider-Man Far From Home, ditto. Aladdin, another Disney remake. Joker, edgy, violent, R-rated. Still a fucking Batman movie. It Chapter 2, sequel to a Stephen King movie from two years ago. Us. Finally, an original movie. No sequel, no remake, no reboot, but kind of a spiritual successor to Get Out, which was a very good box office performer. Jordan Peele directs. And Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. And uh, we know the story there. That's one movie in the top ten not ripped from intellectual property. One. And if you continue down to 20, here's another pattern. John Wick 3. How to Train Your Dragon 3. The Secret Life of Pets 2. Pokemon, Detective Pikachu. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, another original film. Shazam, Aquaman, Dumbo, Glass, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Two movies in the top 20. Wholly original. Written for the screen, Not borrowing from any other source material. Two. And they're directed by two of the most bankable directors in Hollywood. Jordan Peele, Quentin Tarantino. I don't buy that people are tired of franchise movies. I don't buy it. I don't buy that there's franchise fatigue. I don't buy that American film goers aren't hungry for sequels and remakes. What I do buy is that America is not hungry for a sequel or remake to The Shining, Charlie's Angels, or Terminator. That's what I'll buy. People may not be sick of franchise films, but they're sick of these franchise films. And this is hardly surprising, right? The Shining, again, popular movie, came out 40 years ago. And that trailer did not look like The Shining in any way, shape, or form. And I saw the movie. And one of my problems with the movie was it didn't look like The Shining in any way, shape, or form. That's a sequel from a guy that hated the original installment. Stephen King wrote Dr. Sleep as an F.U. to Stanley Kubrick. So that's hardly surprising. Charlie's Angels was popular on TV, I guess. It's been remade countless times. Those original films in the early 2000s made some money. What? They, there were two of them, right? But again, they starred famous people. Cameron Diaz, Lucy Liu. Wasn't Bernie Mac in them too? <laughs> uh, Charlie's Angels. Yeah, Drew Barrymore. Bill Murray was in it. Oh my God, that's right. Yeah, so not great movies, but at least those women were more famous than Naomi Scott and Elizabeth Banks, right? No offense to Elizabeth Banks or Kristen Stewart, who I heard was quite wonderful in the new Charlie's Angels. (laughs) But America likes movie stars. And I can say the same thing about Dr. Sleep with Ewan McGregor. And I can say the same thing about Terminator. Arnold is not putting asses in seats like he used to. And I don't think anybody was clamoring for the Linda Hamilton, Arnold Schwarzenegger reunion. I don't think anybody was clamoring for that. Mackenzie Davis is the third lead in that movie. So what? America likes a movie star. And I think Avengers has sort of thrown us off the scent of that in a way, right? Avengers, they put together this legion of Chris's. Chris Hemsworth, Chris Evans, uh, Chris Pine is in the DC movies, Chris Pratt, Guardians of the Galaxy, right? And none of those guys are particularly memorable. They're attractive, But they're not like super charismatic. There's not a Leo DiCaprio in the bunch. There's not uh, a Brad Pitt in the bunch. The closest you have is Robert Downey Jr. And I think the sort of uh, the plug-and-play mentality of the Avengers movies has, uh, has sort of destroyed the movie star or crippled the movie star in a way. Because in those movies, the hero, the cape, the Iron Man mask, the Marvel label, that's the star. People like famous people. Don't underestimate that. The other thing is, these movies kind of got sucky reviews. And no one's talking about this, right? Like, we should not underestimate the power of the movie star, and we should certainly not underestimate the power of the Rotten Tomato score. The reviews were middling at best. I guess Dr. Sleep had above average buzz, and I'm sure certain circles made note of that positive buzz, but... The trailers kind of sucked, and the branding was off, and you understand why a movie like that wouldn't perform well with mainstream filmgoers, right? Terminator Dark Fate, slightly better reviews than the last movie, but I didn't hear anything too glowing. And Charlie's Angels, also kind of a shoulder shrug for not only the cast, but Elizabeth Banks as director. So that's a big part of it, too. You know, people read Rotten Tomatoes, people read film reviews, people respond well to word of mouth, and they were just bad movies. So, yeah, don't get upset when your bad movie doesn't do well at the box office. But here's the thing, right? I do think people are sick of these franchises. I think Charlie's Angels has been done to death. Didn't we just get like a TV show three to four years ago? It's been done in multiple mediums and uh, I don't think anybody has been clamoring for a new take on this universe. Same thing with Terminator. Enough. Stop beating the dead horse. These movies do well overseas. They don't do well in America anymore. They didn't do well when Christian Bale was in the lead. They didn't do well past T2. This is a tired franchise with a tired star in its lead. Maybe if you took Arnold out of it, Uh, who, by the way, (laughs) looks so old. I mean, he looks great, but I, I just don't get the, he's a robot, but he has gray hair. He's a robot, but he's aged 40 years. I don't know what the explanation is in the movie, but like, you know, let's bring someone young in. Let's try something new. If you really believe this intellectual property has the juice, maybe let's not do it with Arnold in the lead. And The Shining, we can leave that alone as well. This is going to be a challenge for Hollywood going forward. Because eventually this is going to happen to Star Wars. Eventually this is going to happen to Marvel. Eventually this is going to happen to Batman. Eventually this is going to happen to Fast and Furious. We need new intellectual property. I understand this has been a necessary evolution for the film industry. This has been... A process of natural selection. You either adapt or die. And audiences have voted with their wallets and they want more franchise movies. But we seem to be forgetting one thing. And that is in 1977, Star Wars was an original movie. In 1995, Toy Story was an original movie. You can't have a franchise without the initial idea. And I just feel like we haven't replenished the farm system in a long-ass time. What was the last major franchise that's totally original in, let's say, the last 10 years? John Wick? Something animated? Secret Life of Pets? Despicable Me? Frozen? I mean, what was the truly, like, great, bankable original franchise from the 2010s i don't think there is one i think there's plenty of rehashing i think we'll look back and remember some pretty good star wars movies from the 2010s some pretty good superhero movies from the 2010s but i don't think we're going to look back and say wow in 2010 this generation got its version of star wars I don't think there's that franchise, at least not on the big screen. It is happening on television with Game of Thrones. It's happening with Stranger Things. But on the big screen, nothing. And that's concerning. It's concerning because in 20 to 30 years, when people are sick and tired of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, after Doctor Strange 5 underperformed at the fall box office, we're going to be scratching our heads. What now? Uh, this is nothing against franchise movies, by the way. This is nothing against sequels, reboots, remakes. The best of the best have tackled sequels in Hollywood. Hell, The Good, the Bad, the Ugly was a franchise film. The Godfather Part Two was a franchise film. Martin Scorsese worked on The Color of Money. That's a sequel to The Hustler, right? This has happened before. The best of us have worked on sequels, remakes, and reboots. They will always be in the fabric of the Hollywood machine. But we still need some new shit every once in a while. We gotta get some prospects. Because these 35-year-old sluggers are not gonna last for much longer. Terminator, Charlie's Angels, The Shining, not much there. It's time to tap somewhere else, or perhaps find a new place to dig altogether. This is Cultured. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I react to the Grammy nominations despite listening to none of this music. Stick around. Okay, here we go. I skimmed the list this morning. I have not read it since. I have no takes prepared. I'm sure this segment is going to be sizzling hot. (laughs) <laughs> Grammys 2020 here we go your nominees for record of the year hey ma by Bon Iver oh my god they're still a thing Bon Iver are you kidding me wow man dude I haven't listened to Bonnie Iver in like seven years dude oh my lord look at that yeah I.I., their latest album. Oh, yeah, they're still doing shit. Man, good for them and all their hipster fans. <laughs> bon Iver, classic example of a band that I could get into if not for their despicable fan base. I hate everything about Bon Iver fans. I hate how they dress. I hate how they cut their hair. Uh, I hate how, like, they look at you. Something with the eyes. They don't, They all have punchable faces, you know? <laughs> you could pick him out of a lineup. Well, good for them. I haven't listened to the new album, Bad Guy by Billie Eilish. Yeah, that this is probably my record of the year. Um I I I like Billie a lot. I just love her vibe. Uh and we've talked about that in the past, I think. I listened to that album and I reviewed it on the podcast. There's something about angsty teenage girls that just speak to me these days. I don't know what it is. Uh, (laughs) Seven Rings by Ariana Grande. Yeah, right. I guess she's just grandfathered in. Ariana Grande, our modern-day Whitney Houston. Deal with it, people. Hard Place by Her, H.E.R. I've seen this name before. Still can't tell you if it's a band or an individual artist. But I think whoever they are has been nominated before. So good for them. Talk by Khalid... I get him confused with DJ Khaled all the time. Uh, there's no reason for that other than they're uh, they're closely associated names. One is a uh, a slender man, one is a quite large man, and one sings and like writes music, and the other just uh, says, "This the best new shit." So there you go. I think I prefer DJ Khaled to Khalid though, in a March Madness matchup. I think Khaled's got to advance. One of the most lovable guys in the world. He's not nominated, though. Don't worry about him. Old Town Road by Lil Nas X featuring Billy Ray Cyrus. I mean, this is an example of the Grammys doing what the Oscars refuse to do every year, which is just nominate the most popular song. Just get the casual fan in the door. And I know it's a lot easier to do in music because there's less consensus. And when you have less consensus... uh popular opinion uh, uh, wins out, you know? Like, when critics can't agree on the best album of the year, audiences can choose with their wallets. That's not necessarily the case with the Oscars. The Oscars are comprised of snobby old men that insist on independent films released in December as opposed to blockbusters. Um, but Old Town Road, there you go, nominated. Should probably win, right? I assume that's the frontrunner. Truth Hurts by Lizzo. I gotta tell you, this girl... I didn't know who she was like three, four years ago. Some of these songs, I believe, are from like three, four years ago. The most catchy shit at the gym. The great workout music. I love Lizzo. I like that song. I like the, uh, uh I gotta put my hands up, shake my nails. Baby, how you doing? And you good as hell You know that song? Those are none of the lyrics, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and Sunflower by Post Malone and Sway Lee. That's the one from Spider-Man. Yeah, I like that song. I just can't take Post Malone seriously when I see those face tattoos. You know? Just looks like he has cicadas all on his face. But yeah, I like that song. Yeah, that's cool. I'm into it. Uh Album of the Year, I I by Bon Iver. Norman fucking Rockwell by Lana Del Rey. I talked about that a few weeks ago. That record just tore me to shreds. Just killed me. When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go by Billie Eilish. Is it Eilish or Ellish? I don't know. I've heard it both ways. Uh, Thank You Next by Ariana Grande. I Used to Know Her by Her7 by Lil Nas X. He put on an album? I thought it, that was just like a SoundCloud single. Oh, okay. That seems like a stretch. Now now we're really pushing it. Because <laughs> I Love You by Lizzo and Father of the Bride by Vampire Weekend. You know, I don't think there's a band that uh, that I should love more, but I like less than Vampire Weekend. Or at least I've been told I should love them. I feel like everyone I respect... In terms of their opinions on music. Goes crazy for Vampire Weekend. And I listen and I just can't take it. Like they're barely rock. They're barely alternative. They're like weird techno pop shit. I'm not into it dude. What is it with Vampire Weekend? It's one of those things. It, this happens like with TV and movies all the time. Is like it's, it's The Emperor's New Clothes. Everyone goes crazy. Critics go crazy more than anything else, right? It's that circle of people you follow on Twitter that go crazy for Vampire Weekend, or uh, they go crazy. I'm trying to think of like a television show example of this. Um, I mean, Watchmen, I guess. That's my current example. Everyone with a trusted opinion loves it, but you listen, you watch, you can't stand it. It's Emperor's New Clothes, Vampire Weekend, I'll Never Get Them, Song of the Year, Always Remember Us This Way by Lady Gaga from A Star is Born. Why is this eligible? You know, get your shit together, Grammys. The eligibility window is just atrocious. Clear this up. What's so difficult about January 1st to December 31st? Why the weird eligibility window? The cutoff is like in mid-September. I've never understood this. An artist will put something out in like October or November, and then they'll wait a year and a half before the Grammys. A Star is Born was last year's thing. Shallow won a Grammy last year. (laughs) You know? And now we're going to award another song from that album? Come on, bro. Come on! Always remember us this way. I mean, good song. Should have been last year's thing. Bad guy, Billy Ellish. Uh Bring My Flowers Now by Brandy Carlisle. Okay. Country song, right? How could I have guessed? Hard Place by her. Uh actually no, I'm sorry. Bring my flowers now. It was written by Brandy Carlisle, but was performed by Tanya Tucker. I believe it's still a country song, though. Lover by Taylor Swift. I'm surprised there wasn't more love for Taylor because the Grammys love Taylor. They gave her album of the year like twice, right? And they gave it to her over to Pimp a Butterfly. And this is the only nomination she gets in the major categories. I actually kind of like that new Taylor album. I think I talked about that as well. It was sugary as all hell, uh, but that's how I like my Taylor Swift. I love a disposable tailor. I love a tailor I can just throw in the garbage afterwards. I don't like reusable tailor. <laughs> uh, I want to get my fill and I want to leave. Uh, I love Taylor. I feel bad about the scooter brawn thing, by the way. That's gotten very personal. Actually, no, I don't. I don't feel bad. Uh. Uh, she's fine. She'll be okay. You know? She's got plenty of money to cry into. Those Benjamins will will dry the tears quite nicely. And also, like, bro, just re-record the songs. You keep threatening it. Just do it. It'll take you two weeks. Go in the studio, re-record the songs. Enough of the publicity stunt. If you want to get out of it, just get out of it. Everyone will support you. Spotify will buy the songs back from you. Rerecord them. Could be a big thing. You could make even more money. No, I no. Uh, Norman fucking Rockwell, Lana Del Rey, talked about that already. Someone You Loved by Lewis Capaldi. Man, I, I what are these songs, man? This is what happens when you don't listen to the radio anymore. This is what happens with streaming is you have your custom playlist. Spotify will like give you recommendations. You know those Discover playlists? They'll give you songs from like 40 years ago that you might like, and that becomes your listening habits. And there are no tastemakers anymore. When was the last time I listened to the radio? I have no idea what someone you loved is. And Truth Hurts by Lizzo. I mean, I heard that in the gym. If I didn't work out, I'd have no idea who Lizzo is. No idea who Lewis Capaldi is. No idea who her is. Billie Eilish. Best new artist. Black Pumas. Billie Eilish. Lil Nas X. Lizzo. Maggie Rogers. Rosalia. Tank and the Bangas. And Yola. Pretty stacked list if they only kept it to four. Enough with the eight nominees, man. Actually, this is more than eight. No, it is eight. I'm sorry. Eilish. Lil Nas. Lizzo. Pretty Sick. Best pop solo performance. Do I have to go through all this? I don't know. Is there anything interesting here? Let's look at best rock album, just to remind ourselves that rock and roll is dead. Ammo by Bring Me the Horizon. Social Cues by Cage the Elephant. Wow, they're still around? In the End by The Cranberries. They're still around? Trauma by I Prevail. Oh my God, I saw them in concert. (laughs) I saw them in concert two weeks ago. Did I talk about this? Y'all, I went to a heavy metal show. <laughs> a friend of mine had tickets, so I went. I, not usually my thing. Um, Yeah, it was like four hours long. The three bands were um, I Prevail, Bear Tooth, Which is just my favorite name of anything ever. And the main act was a band called A Day to Remember. Uh, Not the way I would describe that evening. Uh, I don't think A Day to Remember was necessarily A Day to Remember. (laughs) Oh, do I not get that culture at all? Did I look so out of place? I mean, we played this game, my friend and I. Uh, We were (laughs) people-watching. And uh, the game was, I want you to point out a young man that is either not bearded, Caucasian, or wearing a black shirt. That's the game. That's the bingo card. It's like a a weird version of the Brechtel test or Bechtel test. Black shirt, beard, Caucasian. I don't think uh, we found one. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Uh, And there I am. I mean, obviously, I'm Caucasian, so I fit in as far as that goes, as far as the racial demographics go. Kind of creepy, by the way, that there are no minorities at the heavy metal concerts. I mean, I'm not judging or anything. And, uh, you know, I I don't want to play identity politics too much. But I don't know, man. You go to a Kendrick Lamar concert, as I have been, and everybody's there. You know, every race under the sun is there. Every gender, every look—it's it's diverse and heavy metal. Not the case. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying, man. I'm not calling you incels or anything. But <laughs> I mean, I don't know. These are all your friends. Is everybody here? I, I just question the demographic sometimes. Uh, they did that thing where they mosh. You know, the mosh pits, we were in the rafters, it was like, um, uh, it, it was in a big arena, so we had the nosebleed seats, we didn't have to worry about getting punched in the face, but I do not get it, y'all just dance, just pump your fist, bro, you know, <laughs> do that thing where you lay your hand flat and bob it up and down in front of your face. What happened? What happened to the concert lighter? That's what I want to know. What happened? You brought the lighter, you waved it back and forth to a power ballad, you made out in the parking lot and you went home. What happened to that family-friendly concert experience? <laughs> now they're pushing, they're punching. They're crowd surfing. I swear to God, the main guy, I, I, I didn't like any of these bands, even though I Prevail apparently is a uh, is a Grammy nominated group. Good for them. Um, uh, the, the, the main band, A Day to Remember, the, the lead singer goes, uh, all right, we're going to do this thing called crowd surfing a crowd surfer where uh, you're going to lay a guy on top of the crowd and he's going to crowd surf and then another guy is going to stand on top of that guy like he's a surfboard and ride him to the front of the stage so the security guard can catch you on your way down. Um. (laughs) It's a weird thing that happens, man. It's just, uh, it's like Fight Club, right? It's just controlled chaos. You enter this room, you're allowed to perform as many acts of violence as you'd like, and then you hug and you go home. Maybe it's healthy, I don't know. Or maybe I'm just not that angry of a person. I don't understand the the release. Heavy Metal Shows. <laughs> <sighs> oh boy, I prevail. And then another group called Rival Sons. Back to the Grammy nominations we're nominated here. Oh, man. Rock and roll. Those were the days, right? Even the rap category sort of weak this year. Best rap album, Revenge of the Dreamers 3 by Dreamville, Championships by Meek Mill, I Am, I Was by 21 Savage, Igor by Tyler the Creator, and The Lost Boy by YBN Cordae. No Kendrick, no Kanye, no Chance. I guess Kanye's done, right? <laughs> oh, let me see, did, was he nominated under Gospel? Maybe he was no, of course he was out of the eligibility window, wasn't he? Yeah, next year maybe. Uh, yeah, I, I will be watching the Grammys as a concert like most of America, and I will fast forward through the acceptance speeches because this is not an award show. This is uh this is a commercial, right? <laughs> the Grammys are a commercial for you to go to Spotify and listen to records. Nothing wrong with that. Music is objective, though. And to vote on it is silly. Just like voting on movies and television shows is silly. But the Grammys every year seems to get it especially wrong. All right. uh, One more break. When we come back, we got some more from the world of pop culture. Stick around. It is cultured. Lightning round. Lightning round gonna get the segment off the ground uh (laughs) lightning round let's do it some stories from the world of popular culture joker 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 just became the first r-rated movie in history to gross a billion dollars worldwide put that in the history books and just in the nick of time a joker sequel in development at warner brothers Joaquin Phoenix slated to return, as is director Todd Phillips. This is totally unsurprising if you were paying attention. If you were not paying attention and you believed that Todd Phillips, Joaquin Phoenix, and the brass knuckles at Warner Brothers were attempting true artistry, I have some snake oil pills to sell to you. Let me know if you're interested. (laughs) Hit me up with the details. I've cooled down on Joker. I think I've said this on other podcasts. I did my initial review the day after I saw it. Adam and I talked about it for like an hour. I was fairly positive. I thought the filmmaking was quite impressive. I thought Joaquin was incredible in the lead role. Uh, But then I thought about it a little more, and I'm like, wow, that movie really doesn't have anything to say about anything. (laughs) The theme there indeed is, wow, we live in a society. And uh, it looks pretty quite creepy. It's fairly violent. I dig it as, like, Scorsese karaoke. But, oh, that movie thinks it's so much smarter than it actually is. And, oh, does that frustrate me. Look. This is a uh, franchise picture made by a uh, very big organization in Warner Brothers. They are not in the business of losing money. They are not in the business of Of pushing the boundaries of art forward. They are in the business of satisfying the bottom line. And Joker clearly has tapped into America's hunger for something. I don't know what that is. Uh, I don't know if it's the hunger of uh, young adult men. For something that makes them feel smart. I mean, hell if I know, man. I'm certainly a young man that's hungry for things that make me feel smart. But this was always... Intellectual property at the end of the day, right? It felt like something else. It looked like something else. And Todd Phillips said it was something else. But you look at that last act and you look at Bruce Wayne's parents getting shot in the alleyway yet again. And uh, you see Joaquin Phoenix in that clown makeup. And you are instantly reminded it's a comic book movie. And that's okay. Now we are allowing it to finally be a comic book movie and giving it a sequel. I will see that movie. I'm sure many people will. Uh, but y'all were hustled. If you thought this was anything close <laughs> to artistically dangerous, y'all y'all were just hustled on this. Joker was never going to be a standalone movie, especially after these box office returns. Uh, speaking of reboots, a lot of reboot talk today. Chinatown, the classic movie directed by Roman Polanski, is headed to Netflix as a prequel miniseries. Original writer Robert Town is on board to pen some of the scripts and David Fincher attached to the project in an undisclosed role. I assume as either a director or producer. Uh, Nothing new for David Fincher, by the way. He's worked with Netflix on House of Cards, Mindhunter. He has a new movie for them, Coming out in the next year, he is a part of the Netflix ecosystem, so it's no surprise that he has another project coming down the pipe. What is surprising is that Chinatown is the latest uh, uh, piece of intellectual property stripped for parts. This just feels totally unnecessary. And I know this is not the first time it's happened. There was a Chinatown sequel, 1990, called The Two Jakes. Jack Nicholson was in it. I believe he also directed the movie. Did not get rapturous reviews, but this is not the first time. I just don't think I've ever been laying in bed, tossing and turning, three in the morning, thinking to myself, how did Jake from Chinatown become Jake from Chinatown? Whatever happened to that guy where he found himself as a private investigator digging into the corruption of the LA water system? Do we need this? Do we like? Here's the thing it's 2019. Everything is Chinatown. It's 2019. Chinatown is no longer a franchise, it's a genre. There is no crime film Chinatown has not directly or indirectly touched in some way. Its influence has been felt for decades since it came out in 1974. So the idea that we need to return to this universe as though there is a new and original story to tell feels just exploitative. I don't get it at all. I mean, I love the talent. I love that Robert Town is returning. I love that David Fincher is going to direct or at least oversee the production. That's cool. I trust that I'm in good hands. But Chinatown? (laughs) man nothing gets green lit anymore no original ideas get green lit like i I don't know i mean what 20 year olds who are netflix and chilling on a saturday night are going to be scrolling through uh netflix and and are going to stumble upon this chinatown prequel and think yeah this is for me like who is this for because you can make, if David Fincher wants to make an L.A. neo-noir crime story, he can do it. He can call it whatever he wants. He can lend his name to it. It gets made. So I want to know why they're slapping the name Chinatown on top of it. Why are we using this intellectual property? As if it means anything to anyone under the age of 60. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Such a needless reboot. I know Adam is excited about it. Adam Hall. Um, and perhaps we'll talk about it on Movie Hall of Fame this week. But <laughs> makes absolutely no sense to me. Speaking of Netflix, Beverly Hills Cop 2. Wow. Pardon me. Beverly Hills Cop 4. I forgot they made three of those things. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop 4 coming to Netflix and Netflix alone starring Eddie Murphy. This is after Dolomite Is My Name Arrived on Netflix to, I would say, fairly positive reviews. I haven't seen it yet. I've been meaning to watch it. But I think it did quite well for them. So Netflix decided to go all in on the Eddie Murphy business. We have a new stand-up special coming. We have more film projects. Eddie Murphy is in the midst of a very competitive Oscar campaign, by the way. He wants an Oscar for Dolomite is my name. And uh, he's been doing just about anything to get it. All these announcements, Netflix special, interviews with the press, luncheons, dinners. Eddie Murphy's back. This is going to be an interesting case study. Can you go away for 20 years and return and be as bankable as you were the day you left? I don't know. Eddie Murphy is entering a Hollywood landscape that we talked about earlier that's sort of shying away from the movie star. We're not quite there. Movie stars still make money. But there were no Chris Evans, Chris Pratt's, Chris Pines in 1988 when Eddie Murphy was the biggest box office draw in the world. I mean, we forget. Eddie Murphy was a huge star. Huge, huge star. Beverly Hills Comp, 48 Hours, Trading Places. Let me look actually Box Office Mojo oh man oh they changed the site that's it's so fucking stupid man i am so over box office mojo you used to be able to like see the box office earnings of each star now you can't oh it's so annoying uh. <laughs> uh. god damn it anyway um yeah So he's back now, and he's not making shitty movies like Tower Heist and Mr. Church and A Thousand Words. He's making sequels to Coming to America. He's making sequels to Beverly Hills Cop. We will see how he does. Uh, But Eddie Murphy, man, I would say one of the top five most bankable Hollywood stars of all time. Not necessarily one of the top five Hollywood legends. He's not Humphrey Bogart. He's not Robert De Niro. He's not Marlon Brando. But in terms of getting mainstream audiences into movie theaters time and time again, this guy had the juice in the 80s. This guy was everything. And meanwhile, he was on SNL. He was doing Raw, Delirious, and was like the biggest actor on the planet. Could Eddie Murphy be the most underrated movie star of all time? I think he might be, man. I mean, he's great in those movies. Beverly Hills Cop is not even a great movie, but he's phenomenal in it. 48 Hours is quite good, but he's even better than the movie. Beverly Hills Cop 4 coming to Netflix. Eddie Murphy. Hope he gets that Oscar. That that, would be a lot of fun. Uh, (laughs) I don't want to talk about the Snyder Cut. I have that on my notes. (laughs) But Ben Affleck and Gal Gadot got in... Uh, embroiled in a Twitter controversy this week when they called for the release of the Snyder Cut. I could not even begin to explain to you what the Snyder Cut is, people. It it is uh, too long a story for just one podcast, but I I will just say that (laughs) it is one of the stupidest campaigns I think I've ever seen. I mean, this is a more misguided political campaign than Marianne Williamson. This is more misguided than Herman Kane. You know, this... Thing. <laughs> what are you doing? The Snyder Cut? Seriously, what are you looking for? Do you want Henry Cavill to have his mustache back? Because that's what you'll get in the Snyder Cut. Are you missing that 30 minutes of context into the Flash's origin story. Did Aquaman not talk to enough fishes for you in Justice League? The Snyder Cut. Give me a break. Oh, such a flex, though, man. Such a troll. Ben Affleck. That's your best work since Argo. Release the Snyder Cut. Uh, Noah Hawley working on a new Star Trek movie and nobody cares about that franchise anymore Uh, Nick Cage oh this was a fun one Nick Cage let me just read the headline for you Uh, Nick Cage is set to play himself in new movie The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent Nick (laughs) Nicolas Cage just took on the most Nicolas Cage role yet If you thought 2002 adaptation, uh, in which Nicolas Cage plays a mirror image of himself as two brothers, was appealingly strange, his next movie is about to get even more meta. Actually, Nick Cage fans who've thought any of his movies are strange will likely appreciate the new venture, which The Guardian deems, quote, the role of a lifetime. Deadline reports the 55-year-old Academy Award actor will play a version of himself in the unbearable weight of massive talent, with Lionsgate said to be the studio now trying to close the deal. The plot involves the character of Nicolas Cage, played by Cage, taking a $1 million offer to attend the birthday party of a Mexican superfan. Nick Cage playing Nick Cage in a movie about Nick Cage. Why is this a thing material if I've ever seen it? Coming to why is this a thing very shortly, don't worry. We'll be there opening weekend to that movie. Uh, Jeopardy! Oh, this was so exciting. This made my year. I needed oxygen after I read this tweet. Um, So Jeopardy! just wrapped up their annual Tournament of Champions. All the great winners from the past year get together. They compete against one another. And it saw a rematch between James Holtower, the great Jeopardy! champion that enraptured America... In May and June. I think that's when his run ended. This June. Maybe it was April. Um, One of the biggest winners in the history of the show. Just dominant player. He played against Emma Betcher, The woman who beat him on that fateful episode. They had their rematch in the Tournament of Champions final. James beat her. Although it was a fairly close contest. And just days after we get this announcement from ABC. Jeopardy greatest of all time. It's a tournament coming to ABC primetime this January. January 7th, to be exact. And here it is. They just couldn't help themselves. Ken Jennings, Brad Rutter, James Holtower, three biggest winners in the history of the show, most dominant players perhaps in all of game shows, playing against each other in a nightly, hour-long affair. So great. Every night, they're going to get together, play two games, Whoever has the higher score after those two games wins the match. You win three matches, you win the whole thing. And it could just go on and on and on until somebody wins. So it could go seven games. I guess that's the idea, right? It could go as much as seven or as little as three. I, couldn't help themselves, right? They just <laughs> it just had to do it. Because here's the thing. I, I hate to say it, but uh, you know, Alex Trebek doesn't have much longer on this earth. Or at least it doesn't seem like it. But he is soldiering on and continues to work. And we're never going to get an opportunity to do it after this year. So we might as well just do it. A nice swan song for Alex. uh, A primetime event that Jeopardy hasn't had in, I think, 30 years. They haven't done something like this. Not in syndication. We have to see who the best of all time is. There are odds available in Vegas, by the way. And I saw this just today. Ken is the favorite at like even money. James is plus 125. Brad is a three to one underdog. Seems to be severely underestimated in this tournament. Brad has gone up against Ken head to head three times and beat him all three times. The only player Jeopardy that Brad has ever lost to in Jeopardy is IBM the supercomputer. Watson, right? That That was the name? IBM's Watson the supercomputer? It's the only time. Brad Rutter has never lost to a human contestant before. So three to one, great value in Vegas if you are of the gambling persuasion. Uh, We need this, man. Screw NFL playoffs. It's going to be, what, wildcard weekend? Or I guess it's the divisional round January 7th? (laughs) I will be sure to uh, avoid that and be watching Jeopardy greatest of all time. This is my impeachment hearing, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) It all comes down to this. And, uh, oh, I did want to mention, before we get out of here, uh, we have one final segment, and it's been a while, but what better time than to learn what... Yeezy taught me. (laughs) Ah, yes. Yeezy did teach me well this week. Kanye West... uh, I don't even want to talk about the opera... That he's putting on with his gospel choir. I'm not even going to touch that story. I don't even want to talk about his appearance at the mega church of Joel Osteen. I don't want to talk about any of it. I just want to talk about my favorite viral clip of the month. Kanye West at a Texas prison. Performing for a small group of inmates. Songs from his new album. Uh, it just warmed my goddamn heart, man. Look... I said this a few weeks ago, you can choose to be cynical about Kanye or you could choose to give in to the Kanye experience. You can't have both. You can't choose to be cynical and also enjoy, right? I've chosen the latter. I have chosen to take this man at his word and follow his actions with sincerity and honesty. And I believe him When he says that he's given his life to God. I believe him when he says he wants to affect social change in the nation. I believe him when he goes to a Texas prison, performs for inmates, because that's just the dude Kanye West is. He pulled the Johnny Cash this week, as I thought to myself. Johnny Cash did the same thing Uh, a couple decades later, but the man is in good company. I love this guy. I'll continue to love this guy. And whatever you want to say about Kim Kardashian and Kanye West, Lord knows they have their faults. And they have been uh, the subject of my criticism from time to time. Believe you me. They're getting this right. They may actually be onto something here. They may actually be doing something meaningful with their platform, with their image, with their money, and with their fame. And that's just goddamn inspiring. Good on you, Kanye and Kim. You did something good for the world this week. Also, Jesus is King, really growing on me, bro. <laughs> Love that record. All right, that is going to do it for another edition of Cultured. Too many thoughts, media.com or TMT.media. Here's what you'll find this week. New episode of Why Is This a Thing, featuring some guests from the Ghostwood podcast we're talking Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. It's a must listen for Twin Peaks fans. If you're not a Twin Peaks fan, there may not be much there for you. But nonetheless, it was a fun time. Really enjoyed Charles and Zan who joined us for that show. Uh, movie Hall of Fame. We're talking best movies of 1994 available tomorrow on the site. And I should have an eco show by either this Friday or next week. I'm not entirely sure. I've been putting that off for a while. The Nico Show will be there. Fantasy Book of the Month, Two Cents Radio, continue to live on on the website, tmt.media. Give us a like, subscribe, review on any and all podcast platforms. Means the world to us. Love ya, as always, and I do hope you come back next week because you know what happens then. It's that special intimate time of the week where you and I get cultured! I'm so tired, I need a nap.